You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 4, July 7th, 2016. Today's guest is Sarah Ford. Sarah is a senior product manager at GitHub. Previously, she worked in the Microsoft Developer Tools division for over a decade, working on products such as Office for iPad, and she's also worked at a couple of other tech companies. She's the author of two books based on her Visual Studio Tip of the Day series, where she donated all of her author royalties to start a scholarship fund for Hurricane Katrina survivors in her hometown. Sarah was an early pioneer of open source at Microsoft and passionate about helping women succeed in the tech field. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And you and I have talked about Agile and open source for years. And one of the things I find interesting is your views on where Agile has failed. Can you expand on that for our audience? Oh, sure. I would love to. And I have to say, it's a little weird for me to be doing, like, sharing my thoughts on Agile in the podcast, because I always said that I had a voice for blogging. And here I have all my notes. So um, I'm like, why don't I just type this out? But hopefully I won't go into a rant too much, and hopefully my New Orleans accent won't kick into high gear. You'll have to let me know if I need to start to translate English to English. We like both. We like rants, and we like New Orleans accents here on the show. All right. So um, here we go, y'all. All right. So for me, the biggest failure in Agile is literally in its name. It's the, the colloquial meaning of Agile, to me, outweighs like, its meaning in the tech industry. Because like no company is going to say, hey, we don't do agile or we quote not agile. Like you just wouldn't say that. It has the wrong you know, the wrong connotation. It could just imply the wrong things to for people who are not in the know. And that and so and the because it's such a generic name, quote agile, then it, and it's so subject to any interpretation. And so then it becomes this, well, why do you need it? Well, are you only doing it because everyone else is doing it? And then it really just gets hard to try to figure out, okay, what is this methodology? What does it mean to be truly agile in what you're, you're doing and practicing in versus just in the name itself? And a lot of people probably just, you know, say they're doing agile, but what they've done is they've taken a label and slapped it on top of things like say like, oh, we do daily stand up, So we're agile, right? Exactly. And have you, have you seen, have you encountered a lot of this before with uh, customers you've worked with or companies you've worked at? What I've seen before, so, and I'm, I'm really fortunate that way back in the day, about maybe 10 years ago, I had um, one of the, like what I would say was one of the best people to ever teach me, to teach me Agile when I was completely new, had never really been told any prior uh, conceptions about what Agile was. Uh, he wrote the first um 
unit testing framework for .NET, um, wrote four books on test-driven development, and also was a chair of an Agile conference in Australia every year, like when I started reporting to this guy. And uh, so I like to joke that he taught me Agile methodologies using Agile method itself. So it wasn't like a, here, go and follow this thing. It was always about figuring out what does it mean to have a group of people, uh, a group of software engineers or um, customer support or any UX, whoever it is, you have a group of people in a room together. Given this group of people, you have to figure out the dynamics that is going to make them the, be the most um, efficient. And what, and, but he, but there was like a, 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 um, a rhyme and a reason for everything. There was like a, a, a reason behind the madness. And it took me a while, it took me almost like a year for it to click. But once it clicked, it clicked. And ever since that experience, I've never really felt people get that there is like a reason behind these things. There is a, like, it's not just about the stand up, there's a reason for the clear communication. Like, what does it mean to do things in every month? What does it mean that, let's say, like, if you're gonna do, uh, a monthly sprint. What does it mean that things roll over to the next sprint? How do people handle these like when it doesn't all go to, according to plan? And yeah, so I'm talking about like um, over ten years of uh, of seeing of experiences of seeing people try to emulate what agile is without actually getting into the details of what the methodology, the the trade offs behind um, why you would do one thing versus the other. So you would say that there's a deep systems approach here that involves human element and so forth that goes beyond just the practices. Exactly. Yes. Like, what are these trade-offs? What? Why are you doing a standard? Why are you doing monthly sprints? Like, just like being able to articulate the why. And I haven't found many people be able to do that. Let me give two examples just to be concrete. The first thing is everything is like gluten-free. All of a sudden today, everything's gluten-free and you would assume that it means that things are more healthy. And right now, let me, let me be clear that with uh, my, my friends who, are, uh, who need to be gluten-free that I've known for like 20 years, I cannot be more happy for them. Like that everything now that is so available that I can only imagine the restaurants and the places like they can eat now. However, for me, I went to my nutritionist and said, hey, this gluten free thing, should I be doing this? And he actually told me based on what my dietary needs are, he told me no, that I should actually avoid gluten free because one, I didn't need to, you know, to be gluten free. And second, that things that are gluten free tend to have higher sugar content and that I didn't need any more sugar. So I, I can only imagine my New Orleans accent as I say sugar, um, the sugar. But uh, yeah, so again, it's like why? So my friends are truly need gluten-free. They can articulate the why versus it's like kind of like a fashion fad of like, oh, we must do it because everyone is doing it. And my other analogy is the diamond ring industry. When I heard about the story about like why like there you buy a diamond ring to get married, I had no idea that this was uh, invented by the uh, the diamond um, companies um, decades ago to get because they had a surplus of diamonds, and like, but then again, who does not buy a diamond ring to get married? Because it's just without knowing the why, you just assume. Well, were you too poor to buy a diamond ring at the time? Because if you don't understand why these things develop this way, you can have the wrong connotation. And so to tie it back to agile, I think people take away the okay, we should have daily standups, we should say we're being agile, but they don't understand the why behind.
and it comes into the ceremony behind uh, software development and software development methodologies. I feel that people sometimes feel like they're checking the boxes and performing the ceremonies and actually not understanding why they're doing it. Exactly. So yeah, it reminds me very much of Simon Sinek, you know, start with why and then talk about what and head out to the how. I say I like that. That might be better than my own personal favorite game of, yeah, describing. Can you describe your agile methodology without using the term agile? That might be a better way to do it or a less um, abrasive way to do it. Well, can you talk about your agile that you use personally without using the word agile? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I like this. All right. For me, I call it iterative. In- Sorry, let me back up. For me, I call it incremental iterative development. The idea is you have a goal in mind, like you want to, you don't want to get to the to the moon, you just want to get out of your front door, you want to get to the sidewalk, you want to get to the stop sign, you want to get down the street to the traffic light. It's about, okay, having like this figurative yardstick. And I use the term a yardstick, because I think for me as a product manager, it needs to be a fixed measure of time. And uh, because because you can't pick size because size is too arbitrary. You can't pick cost. Cost is too ar- arbitrary. Time is fixed. Time. So for me, a yardstick is it's perfect um, analogy for this. And so you have something that's fixed and say, okay, I'm just going to, today I'm going to work, like I'm going to walk down the street for 10 minutes. Tomorrow I'll do another 10 minutes and I'll reevaluate. Okay. Uh, I'm going to walk tomorrow for another 10 minutes. How do I feel? How um, am I am heading in the right direction? Oh, what if there's a traffic accident? What if there's construction on the sidewalk? What if I have to change my tack or change my approach? And so to me, it's, uh, what, it's about having a goal, but it's not about like just blindly running towards that goal. It's about every so often in a measurable way to be able to stop and reevaluate, am I going in the right direction? Yeah, this it kind of reminds me of uh, I was I was coaching for the IRS, and when I first got there, they actually forbade us from using the word Scrum and Agile. They called it iterative incremental delivery. At first, I was I was like, well, how Agile can they possibly be? And and I was very offended by that. But after I was there for a while, it's like I came to the conclusion: it doesn't really matter what language you use right? People have an allergic reaction sometimes to agile terminology and so forth. So if you start to just say, well, how about if we meet every day, right? Just to have a quick conversation about how it's going and and so on. And people are like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. That sounds like it makes sense. Uh, Yeah. That's, yeah. You don't know what type of residual stress that they bring to the table. You don't know what um, they've been through previously with bad experiences. And yeah, if we go back to just getting down, like in, getting back down to what the why behind what we want to do, just getting more concrete and not using buzzwords to um, hope that people get what you want, but being able to clearly communicate. Let's talk every day and figure out what we need to do to get us unblocked. And if we don't need to meet every day, we won't, but let's start somewhere. And I, I really like the concept of having people describe their methodology without using the word agile. I feel that it as both Daniel's example, the IRS, and you were talking about it, you know, in your example, it, it gets people out of the mindset of labels and rules. And as I said before, check boxes. And so is that one of the reasons why you've asked people to do that? I'm not sure why I started asking people. I think it, 
it was just something recent in the past couple of years that I noticed patterns when people would come to me and say, hey, t- tell us about Agile. We wanted to fix problem X. And it turns out problem X was a, a, a more of like a strategy or it was how do you take three years worth of, of uh, software planning and make it all just magically aligned and have everyone uh, knowing exactly what they're going to be working for, working on every day for the next three years. And what I started realizing is it was like this, like this cure-all um, that uh, this one term was going to fix all this. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a, it's a methodology. It's a development process. It's not a, it's not like a, a this thing that's going to solve your strategy. And so I'm like, why are they asking me about like agile? And so that's when I started asking, like the other question is, well, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is it that you're, uh, you're hoping for a a solution? What is it? If I could wave a magic wand and I could tell you anything, what would you wish that I could answer? And that's when I started realizing, wait a minute, everyone doesn't have the same uh, background as I do with uh, what this term means. Let me figure out what they're hoping that this term means for them. So that's very interesting perspective, Sarah. Switching gears just a little bit, you're a competitive sailor or you have been in the, in the past and I, I am as well, having grown up in Dana Point and Laguna Beach area. Tell us about your analogy between sailing and, and Agile. Okay. I grew up in um, New Orleans, uh, outside of New Orleans on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so I used to sail uh, for my um, local yacht club when I was a, a youth in youth sailing because I'm short. And so I could run up onto the deck and put up the, uh, the spinnaker or fly, fly the jib. And I, because I wasn't, didn't weigh too much, uh, they really liked me on, the, on more of the, the gentle breeze days when you can't have as much weight on the boat. And I'm actually really glad for that, these experiences. But being like an engineer, I want everything to be black and white. And being in software, I want everything to be like a compiler. The same inputs I give in, I want the exact same outputs every single time. I don't like uh, uh, this world of gray. I want everything to be black and white. And even though sailing, racing frustrated me to no end because of all the nuances, I'm really glad that I have this experience because one day it kind of clicked with, oh, wait, Agile is just like like learning to, to sail. Because on paper, it seems really straightforward. You start, um, you go upwind. You can't, so just a very quick primer on sailing. You can't sail directly into the wind. You have like maybe, I don't know how, how the, why the range is, maybe like 30 degrees that you can't actually sail directly in the wind. If you tried, you would just go backwards. And so you you have to tack back and forth, back and forth to go up into the to a buoy to, to make the first round. And that's kind of like, I'm, I'm assuming where the, the term um, change of tack comes from. And I think this is when it clicked, like, wait a minute, I've done this before, this is sailing. And the problem with sailing, it's like, you think it's so easy, it's like black and white, you just start and you go up to the buoy and you turn around. But the problem is that the wind constantly oscillates back and forth and so you have to be able to read the water. And anytime you can do this in, in a swimming pool, you can look at the wind and you can see where it's kind of glassy. And then you can see where it's a little bit darker and it has more ripples in it. And so where it's glassy is where there's not as much, it's not as enough um, wind, but where it's like darker, that means there's like more of like these little gusts of wind or what they're called puffs. And so in sailing, in the analogy, when you're racing, 
Um, you want to stay away from the glassy areas. And then and you definitely want to be in like where there's more puffs because you can actually get closer to the target. And so you're constantly, constantly, constantly reading the water. And also there's these little things called telltales. And they're on, um, if you're on a boat with two sails, uh, well, even a boat with one sail, but I've always raced with them on, um, on boats with two sails. And they're on the smaller sail called a jib. And there's a green one and a uh, red one. And the, you, you just look at them. And the ones that are on the inside of the boat, um, like, for example, if uh, the sails were to the right, um, you would have the green one on the inside. And if the green one were to start to flap, that means that you're being lifted. And so that's actually good because it gets you closer to the buoy. But if you see, um, or maybe I have it, I have it backwards. Uh, but anyways, the idea is you want to, uh, you want to, um, follow these little telltales. And if you see one of them flapping, that means that you might have to change your, your, your tack, or you might be getting closer to the buoy. And that's how I just like the idea of like, it doesn't matter how predictable you think that your game plan is like, for example, for me, like with even though I have a master's degree now in user experience and being able to do uh, um, um, interaction design, it doesn't matter. I've probably designed over 100 features now, but however they're designed on paper or on the monitor, it's never, ever, ever what it actually ships. There's always changes. The modality is different from paper and reading to actually clicking. And even if you have like high fidelity prototypes, things always change. And so... At first, I was really frustrated. Like, why can't it just be right? Why can't it just be the, the thing that ships? And then I realized, wait, it's just like the sailing analogy. It doesn't matter if you have the perfect, perfect course laid out right at the start, at the beginning. Um, you're right on the line when the gun goes off, and it's perfect. You have the perfect start. The wind could change, and uh, you have to adjust your tack. And I, I love that analogy because I always say that each software development project even within the same company, even within the same division, is always going to be very different, like those headwinds, like like all the, the oscillation and like the water waves. And it's, it's a great analogy because Agile has to change and adapt, sometimes within the same team, sometimes within the same organization. Uh, would you think that's the case? Oh, absolutely. And then also what I would also add to it is uh, a couple of things like one, like you could, again, have the perfect start. You can have the perfect uh, line to the to the buoy. But let's say that people in front of you or people along the side of you on different boats do things that are that mess up your game plan. Uh, for what, like maybe there was a penalty earlier on that um, the person had to do a 720. So they had to do two circles as for whatever penalty. And let's say that because of where you are in the race, like, uh, like you are lapping them. And next thing you know, they're doing this 720 right in front of you and you have to change your tack. And, and it had nothing to do with you. Uh, things, things can change or the a concept of bad air where you happen to get behind someone because of the wind change, but because they were already on this tack, you don't want to be directly behind them because you're not getting the best air. It's called bad air. And so you have to tack away. So there's just always these other factors that can come into play. And even like you were talking about, like even in the same um, department, the same team, it takes a while for a team to meld. That was like why it took me almost a year just to figure out what the, I need to do in this new agile world 10 years ago when it was first being described to me. Like on a boat, you have to figure out what is the communication pattern? What does the skipper care more or less about? What does the first mate care more or less about? Uh, what are your the responsibilities that are going to get divided up? So every time that a teammate 
changes or on a boat, every time there's a new person that comes in, you have to figure out, that's got to be this time to meld to figure out, okay, who's going to have what responsibilities. For like, like before the start, all the, um, like one of the jobs I had before the start for like the longest time, I literally just watched my watch and counted the seconds or counted like the minutes to the next uh, time before uh, the before the start so you could have that perfect line. And, you know, as time went on, I had like different responsibilities. And so I think, yeah, that it just uh, like there's so many analogies to, to be to be had here. So every time it's just going to be different. Uh, you just never know. It's it, but what the one thing that does get better is that the communication and the team improves. You start understanding why people are asking what questions, or are they're learning from like what worked well on one boat might not work the same way on another boat, and you take those those um, um, examples with you. You carry that over to the next race, and so ideally, over time, you get better and better. But you have to have that trust. You have to have the common that you have to have that trust that we're all here it's for the common goal you no one wants to be it's more important to have the right to have the same outcome like to win versus to be individually right and still lose the regatta and i i couldn't agree more i, I love the analogy because it, it brings me into the, that concept that every project is different so it's it's a very refreshing to hear and other guests have come on and use analogies for jazz and medical i mean we've heard lots of different analogies with agile so it's it's great to hear you talk about something that's uh, deep rooted in your personal experience Switching gears, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, open source software because I've always felt that open source is um, the values of the open source community is intertwined with the values of the agile community. So first, I want to know if you agree with that. And second, maybe talk a little bit because, you know, your bio has you at Microsoft for over a decade and you started at Microsoft when they were very anti open source. And by the time you left Microsoft, they made a complete metamorphosis. And I can't help but um, notice that during that same time period, they went from being very waterfall to being very agile. So I was wondering if the two were intertwined or if it's just a coincidence. I'll start by talking about my experiences of watching Microsoft become more open and transparent because back in the day when I first joined Microsoft, I was in, it was uh, 2001, I was a college hire. And like a couple of years later, uh, at that time, I, I was actually working on Visual J++ in college. And I like to joke, I was the other Visual J++ developer in the world. I didn't know there were even. I didn't know there were even two. Yeah, of all things, uh, yeah, I was doing. Um, I was working for a physics professor to simulate uh, um, optics experiments on the web using VRML. Instead of going to the physical lab and actually setting up a physical laser, you, we would simulate these uh, experiments using with widgets and interaction and and stuff like that. And uh, so they were using visual. J++ for whatever reason, I can't remember. It's been too long. And remember, I found this bug in Visual Studio. It drove me crazy that every time you would try to break into, uh, step into a function with a breakpoint, if you jumped across files, you would get off by one every time you would jump across a file. So I actually had to keep in my like in a piece of paper, okay, am I off by one right now? Am I off by two right now? Just to be able to debug. And I wanted to report the bug to Microsoft, but it was actually going to cost me $250 on my credit card to report the bug. And 
I would get the money back only if Microsoft determined it was a bug. So this is the year 2000, 1999, 2000. And this is my experience with Microsoft. I'm like, that is my rent. There is no way I'm going to put my rent um, on my credit card just to be able to report a bug. And uh, if I, like a month later, I, I remember I was, I got the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the the invite to come to Redmond and interview with uh, the Visual Studio team. And I thought, yes, at least I'll be able to report my bug to Microsoft and not have to pay $250, or at least risk $250. So that's how it was when I first joined. And after uh, a couple of years, like blogging started, and so I was blogger number 300 for the company. And I got to watch like all these discussions from blogging to being able to um, have um, uh, customers open bugs into our internal database because I was still uh, a software tester for Visual Studio at the time. And then I got to see them start to share specs. I got to see them start to do community engagement in the forums. And then I wanted to make the switch into product management because I felt that most of my time was doing PM work. And then every now and then I would have to squeeze in my day job to do software testing. And so I said, okay, I have to, something's got to give. And so I remember talking to my uh, would-be manager at the time and like, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a PM. And he's like, this is awesome. I just became a PM lead and I have four openings on my team. Would you want to work on the forums or do you want to do this open source thing? And I thought, well, go big or go home. So I picked the open source at Microsoft. And yeah, so I I was fortunate that I had been enough people in front of me who have started to pave the way. And yeah, and it was just great to be a part of like that early, like figuring things out, what's going on. And uh, yeah, and at the time when I uh, joined uh, uh, Coplex, that's when I was, uh, so I already had a good sense of listening to community feedback, what it meant to be transparent. And then I started learning Agile. I was like, wait a minute, a lot of these lessons just happen to like overlap. I get, I already get um, a lot of these things. It was just a different um, interpretation of it. I guess it would be like my mind's going to a karate analogy of uh, like, just be, like I noticed like a lot of times uh, because I have a strong karate background, like it translates into other things, whether it's public speaking, if it's uh, working out at the gym, just other things. It's like, oh, hey, wait, I right, this seems familiar. I know what this is. I know how to, to do this. And yeah, I can totally see where like the the where the overlap is with like uh, the open source community and also agile methodology when it, we're talking about, okay, what do we want to do next? Let's get a pulse from the community. Did things work? Did things not work? What do we need to adjust? And the other thing, the reason why I, the whole reason why I went back for my master's degree was because of all of this. I wanted to understand, okay, I know that there's a difference between listening to what people want and then also providing them what, what they need. I just didn't know how do you actually provide them what with what they need. The only people I knew who did that were UX researchers and UX vendors. And so I said, okay, I need to know that. I need to know what they know. And so that's why I went back to, uh, to grad school to get my master's degree in UX because I was like, okay, I get, I get the understanding how to listen to customer feedback, but how do I actually surprise them? For me, the ultimate goal of being a product manager is give them a solution to a problem they never knew they had. 
And that's to me every every feature I work on, every feature um, that I hear like a feature request come in, it's like okay, okay, thank you for for that information. Now, how do I surprise you with this ultimate solution? So, Sarah, we ask all of our guests the same question, which is the whole premise of our show. Where do you think Agile is going next? What's on the horizon, in your opinion? Have you guys seen the uh, the Agile is Dead post that's been making rounds uh, this week? On uh, it was a LinkedIn um, artist article. Yeah, yeah. What what stood out to me is about this article, and it was a, the the whole point about like Agile having a quote sweet spot. And one, it, it just the last time I've heard anyone say something along those lines with Agile and being favored towards it being Agile development was. Um, a while back, someone said that like, Agile only works if you're on a website. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I agree with that because what I was taught is that you can take any software product, you can break it down into, okay, what do I want to achieve today? What do I want to achieve tomorrow? It's really all we do normally is just actually calling out, this is what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, so I wonder if... Um, if if what it's not so much that agile is dead what i would maybe interpret it is is that the the buzzword agile the be able to hide behind this terminology might be coming to an end and people are starting to realize wait a minute we need to be more articulate with what we're looking for from um, potential new hires or for employers of okay how are you going to deal with um, legacy debt? How are you going to deal with uncertainty? How are you going to deal with uh, uh, where you have teams upon teams upon teams? I always thought that, you know, scrum of scrums, when you have multiple scrum teams and then you have the scrum of the scrum team, when your meeting is literally SOS, a, a literal cry for help, you might want to rethink things. It's Again, it's like... Um, going back to gluten-free or the diamond ring, like having a mini call SOS is probably not a good sign. Uh, so I think that uh, where I think things are going is this whole notion of being able to plan out, okay, once every month we're going to deploy, once every couple of weeks we're going to deploy, that seems to be slipping away. And it makes me a little uncomfortable because I like to have one factor that I can control, meaning time, as a product manager, because it makes me a better product manager to make sure that I don't overscope my features. But I feel that that's starting to slip away. And what does it mean to always release? What does it mean to, like, as soon as you have code that it goes live? And I think that's where I, I see the, the future of what does this mean that, okay, you have code and you throw it, it's, as soon as it's, um, it's shipped, it, it goes out. And I think that's what I see the future coming about. What are the pros and cons to that? What are we looking for in terms of, uh, of talent and growth of how do we deal with these, uh, um, the, size of, the side effect to, to this? Are also the potential like goodness of this, or but, but then again, a, a side effect could be: Do customers just expect bugs now to always be fixed? What does it mean to have a, a gap, uh, a, a gap with, uh, hey, I had this feature request, why did you fix these immediately and not mine? I'm not sure. I like how the article kind of called out DevOps. That could be interesting. That could be the next thing. I don't. I'm not sure, but I want to see. I'm curious. What does it mean to be always be uh, always be deploying? That's a fascinating perspective. And um, one final question we have for you is what's next for Sarah? Yeah, for, for me, in the what's next for me right now is 
when I was doing my master's degree in UX, you have to do an experiment. You have to actually run a, uh, uh, an experiment, like a, almost like a psychology experiment where you have to get uh, a p-value and figure out if it has significance and do all the stats on it, kind of like a A-B testing or something along those lines. But me being me, um, I was actually going to work with a kinesiology professor uh, that studied motor learning on how do you develop skill, like physical skill. Like if I've never seen this coffee mug before, how do I know how to pick it up? Like how do, do you actually develop like like skill? Um, normally it would be called muscle memory. And and so I thought, okay, I'll do a research project on that. And I was going to use one of these devices that was built in the 1960s to follow a, a ball around in the circle using like a, a, a stylus. And I'm like, wait a minute, I could build this thing with a connect and we could get all this other telemetry on the human performance. Like you can not only get the XY coordinates, but we could also get the Z value. We could also get lean. We could get um, heart rate measurement potentially. We could get all these other um, um, stats. Why don't I just like try to prototype something? And my I, and so I quickly prototyped something and I sent it to the to my advisor. And she's uh, she you know you're you're onto something when your grad advisor replies to you three times in ten minutes. And uh, she was like doing backflips. But one of her things was she said, "Hey, um, you need to make this proprietary." And I said, "Oh no 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 no! If I'm doing this, we're going to open source it, and this is why." And so she's a you know she's been in, in academia for thirty five years studying you know. Um, how uh, athletes or anyone, how um, you develop skill, muscle learning, muscle, um, muscle learning. And here I am saying, we're going to do this open source thing. And this is why, because we want the transparency. We want it to be um, replicated. We want um, like all these other things, all the goodness that comes with uh, doing open source. And it was just like opened up this whole new world. And she's like, we're going to write papers on this. And I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean we are going to be writing papers uh, on this stuff? And so this was over a year ago, that I, or two years ago. I've been graduated for over a year, but of course, you know, me being me, I'm still working on this project and people are actually starting to do research on it. And so over the summer, I'm going to be helping them um, kind of like teach this whole new segment of uh, of the uh, professional world of this is what it means to do um, software development. And because I love talking about software, I love talking about um, how software is developed and also the benefits of doing open source. It's really exciting for me. And so this is going to be my, my summer project of helping, of this explaining to the academic world. This is why we picked doing open source over proprietary for this type of project. So yeah, that's uh, on the near, uh, the, the near horizon for me. Sounds like you have some awesome things ahead of you, Sarah. Thanks. It's been a great conversation. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks you all. Normally, uh, I would say I have like a, a voice for for blogging again. So uh, thanks for putting up with my rants and my New Orleans accent. Next week on Agile Next, we have Zach Sapala from Particle IO talking to us about the lean hardware movement and how Agile methodologies fit in. It is surely a unique take on Agile and where it's heading next. Hope to see you then. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv.